It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. In this episode, I've invited my friend Don Peterson for a conversation about hope. Fair warning, we'll also be talking about its flip side, hopelessness. We all feel hopeless sometimes, and it can leave us feeling overwhelmed and unprepared. So I wanted to remind you, if you get to a point where all feels lost, there is help. So, if you are feeling hopeless, please know that, even when you can't see it, hope is there. If you need support in the U.S., call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. There is hope and there is help. And with that, (laughs) hey Don, I've been thinking about hope a lot lately. Maybe it's because I have a book coming out on October 12th, so I'm hopeful that it's going to find an audience, you know. Well, I think that's something worth hoping for. Yeah, it um, is. We're it all is. hoping for you, actually. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so, so I thought today it would be nice for us to talk about becoming hopeful. How do we do that? And sometimes that's hard. It is. It's, right. it's very difficult. Because it seems more scary, right? So you think about all the... What won't happen or what might not happen, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm basically a hopeful person. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've always thought of you as, as a hopeful person. Oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm scared to death most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you hide it well. <laughs> well, you that's really do. part of my art. <laughs> <laughs> that is my art. Well, uh, that, that's, a good, that's a good life skill. Um, but I think being an entrepreneur is inherently a hopeful thing to do oh yeah i think overall you have to be a little bit optimistic about everything but then you have to be realistic about most things yes right so you know we were talking the other day with this group of people were uh, helping to accelerate their new businesses and uh, we were talking about process versus events you know we Mm -hmm. start companies it's like okay well we want to build a successful company well of course we do (laughs) how do you define success what does that mean when does it occur? How did you know you got there? Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And uh, my, uh, my, feel, my feeling about that is that it's something you always look back on and that you'll look back one day and say, well, that was kind of a turning point for us. But the building of a company or any th- sort of effort towards optimistic or hopeful things is always a process, not an event. There's no one day you're going to say, well, gee, I'm glad I was hopeful because it all worked out. Yeah, and 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 I think that's uh, that's something we're going to get into here as we as we go on in the episode. But that's, I think you've identified a really key important point about being hopeful. And being hopeful is not necessarily looking forward to a goal, but it's enjoying the process as as you go along. Yeah, and entrepreneurship is truly a process. You know, it'd be great if. You know, we set these milestones and said, okay, I'm going to suffer, you know, with anxiety and fear and I'll be scared and all these things until that day, that day when we (laughs) book that big first order or we close that big round of investment or we sell the company or whatever. Well, you don't know when those things are going to happen. And if you spend your time, well, afraid or scared during those days before that happens, 
well, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's not much of a life, you know. It does. And, and then if you are fortunate enough to get to that hopeful point, it doesn't last. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's like I, I, I always compare it to playing darts, right? Yeah. So what's my goal? I'm going to hit the bullseye with this dart. And you throw the dart over and over and over and over again. And then finally you hit it. Well, how much joy should you feel? <laughs> That's what I was aiming for, right? Right, right? So unfortunately, every time you miss, you kind of beat yourself up. and say, do it better. You can do this better. You can do this better. And that process of constant iterative, you know, failure isn't healthy. It isn't healthy. And so, you know, maybe the goal is let's just hit the target. Let's just hit the board. You know, if I get closer each time and get incrementally better at this, that's the process. And then I can feel better that every time I tried this, you know, in darts, you know, we talk about clusters, right? How close are the darts together? Not just did you hit the bullseye. And sometimes that's more important than, well, hitting the bullseye. Well, it's being consistent. Yeah, right. You know, you, if you get consistent at one spot, then you can adjust your spot. Right. Well, it's on. developing the skill, right? It because is. a lot of things in entrepreneurship or anything in life, we don't know. We don't know. We can't know. You know, there's some, thing, some things we do know, and we try to maintain them or control them or, you know, um, exercise some control over their outcome. But there's more things we just don't know are going to happen. You know, that's life. And, and when one of those big, nasty things that we don't expect happens, like getting a chronic diagnosis, that can be really defeating. Yeah. Well, especially if you've spent your life throwing darts at the bullseye and making great clusters and getting closer and closer to that bullseye, and then, uh-oh, something happens. Right? Yeah. I mean, I spent a number of years as a healthy adult, and I didn't, like like most young men... I didn't even think about my health. Yeah. It was something yeah. I took for granted. Right. And then suddenly this diagnosis comes along. And, you know, one of my first thoughts was, is this going to be the best day f- that I'll ever have for the rest of my life? Yeah. That's scary, right? It is. It is. And, and that's, that's a constant, ever-present source of stress. When you're you're always wondering if your body is going to be up to just the normal challenges of everyday life. Yeah. Well, I, I can you know I can't relate exactly to what having MS is like, but I can relate to what it feels like getting older. Sure. And having to leave things that I love doing behind, and wondering if if today is well the best I'm going to be able to be at this moment, mm-hmm. and that from here on out. There are going to be other things I'm going to have to give up. You know, yeah. I was telling my kids about, uh, I bought a Tesla, and I love it, by the way. It's an amazing. I'm not going to do a commercial for Tesla, but it's an incredible car. And I said, well, I wanted a car that by the time you guys want to take my driver's license away, will be able to drive me around. <laughs> and I won't have to worry about it. So, you know, I'm hopeful, hopeful that self-driving cars actually come to fruition at some point in the not-too-distant future because I can see my kids one day saying, all right, Dad, it's time. No more driving. You're a danger to not just yourself, but everybody else. Well, it's a it's a it's a conversation that you know. I'm in a, I'm in the sandwich generation right now. I've got that's a new kids. term. Is that like Gen no, Z? It's a, no, a, it's <laughs> no, it's it's whenever you're 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 in that sandwich phase of life. It's where you've got parents who are are becoming elderly and and they need 
a little more care and a little more support, and and you also have kids. So I have teenagers, and yeah. I have you know parents who are approaching eighty, and uh, th- so I have caregiving concerns on both sides of me as I'm trying to care for myself as yeah. well. Well, that's I, I I'm in a similar position. I'm obviously a lot older than you are, but. Um, well, not obviously, but I am. Yeah, <laughs> literally, <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> obviously or literally. Uh, I don't yeah. know about a lot. But I have a but... mom who's you know ninety three now, and she's in a home for the memory impaired, and mm-hmm. you know I and I have obviously I have children, I have um, grandchildren now, and and I'm in the middle, right? So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my mom at ninety three, and she barely recognizes anyone or has any moments of clarity, and you know my hope for her, we talk about hope, right? My hope for her is that she's had a good life, and no matter how she spends the rest of it, that whatever memories are left inside that can't find their way out, right, mm-hmm. are good to her. I hope her memories are good to her, and that's all I can hope for. Um, there's no other, you know, it, it's 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 a tough thing because, you know, I, I don't know if she would be better off if she had passed away earlier before her memories were lost, if, where well she was still lucid. Or if this is a better state for her, and that those thoughts and memories are in there, they just can't find their way out. Yeah, that's that's a difficult thing. We, uh, you know, I went through that with with my maternal grandmother, yeah. and and it's it's difficult to watch. Yeah, and and you're always uh, you have to stop yourself from second guessing uh, what's going on. Yeah, I, it it just is. Yeah. Right? there's nothing I can do to change or alter the course of her the last years of her life, but I can only hope, right, right, that she's in a place inside her own head where mm-hmm. she's enjoying her memories of her life, and even though she can't express it. Right. And, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm feeling older lately because <laughs> I, I just had one of those milestone birthdays. So. Oh, I thought maybe you had a colonoscopy or something. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it is recommended for gentlemen of our, of our age. Yes, I know. Uh, so, so I just turned 50. And, and oh, yeah, it's time, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it, it's time. It wouldn't be my first, but I, I, I don't enjoy them. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> That's, but but sometimes we do those things for our health care, right? Yeah. Uh, so all of this has has had me reflecting on hope lately. And, you know, I've had places, there was one time in my life especially when I was, I can truly say I was completely hopeless. Yeah. I, I had had a different kind of exacerbation to my MS. Most of them had been physical up to that point. There's a little cognitive fogginess, but this was the first time I had an exacerbation that was primarily cognitive. And uh, I'm a guy who's, who's, you know, always made my living with my brain. Yeah. That's, that's how I do things. And uh, I, yeah, I was undergoing the stress of, of building a company at that time and leading a, a technical team suddenly my brain was not working the way it should. And the part of my brain that deals with emotional regulation wasn't working. So my emotions were all over the place. I couldn't think I was, I was frozen. And I, I got depressed out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got to be scary. Yeah, it, it was. It was terrifying. And, and, and I lost hope. Mm. 
And, and you know, I'm a generally hopeful person, so uh, it, it was terrifying. But you were aware of that then? At I, that time, were you? I, I, I was primarily, and I think a lot of that is because, because of my training as a social psychologist, there's a lot of training about how to observe yourself and, mm. and be kind of meta-aware of those things. And, and so I was fortunate um, now, the, the thing that made it even more frustrating was with all of my training, I still f- felt that way and I still felt stuck. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I needed to find hope again. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take a little break. And uh, when we come back, let's explore uh, those feelings. Very good. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life, and we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump, and you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Justjump.life Before we took the break, Kevin, you were talking a little bit about your own experience with cognitive lapse and how it scared you. And um, but how did you come out of it? What did you do? Yeah, I, I, you know, first of all, I had to recognize that this was hopelessness. And so, you know, in in the next segment, we'll talk about some of that because you've got to be able to recognize it so mm-hmm. that you can start doing something about it. And for me, I had to. I had to go back and think about, well, what does hope look like so that I could, I could replicate the characteristics of hope in my own life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and y- there are a lot of different ways of defining hope, but I think one really concise way of thinking about it is desire with confidence. Hmm. Okay. So it's, it's, it's you want something, you know that's a, that's that's it's future oriented you you are seeing something better or the possibility of something better in your life and you have some kind of confidence that it's it's not just a a uh, an airy fantasy you yeah know? you know we talk about that a lot in entrepreneurship right because people set goals and mm-hmm. they want to see them work out. And most entrepreneurs are reasonably confident that those goals are something they, well, can attain, even if sometimes they seem unrealistic. What we try to teach them is that every day you should be making a step towards that thing you want, Mm -hmm. right? Hope becomes a reality when it comes true, right? When you attain the thing you want. So the goal should be that every day you say to yourself, if you're going to go to bed and sleep at night, what did I do today to help me attain that? Yeah, it's got to be behaviorally oriented. And it's if you cannot see those measured steps each and every day, or at least most days, then that hope becomes something you dread yeah. almost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that... Uh, becomes mocking. Well, it's the less attainable 
you you begin you you then you begin to lose your confidence that right. you can attain it, right? Right. And that's why I think every day you have to go to bed thinking, okay, I made these steps or took this step towards attaining that goal or attaining that thing I want. And if you I make another step tomorrow and the day the day after that, because all we have is the moment, right? Yeah. Future is a construct of our heads, right? Someday in the future, this will this this will happen. Really? All by itself? No. <laughs> no. Right? Not not at all. And that's that's the Im, that's the first important thing that we need to define about real hope, as opposed to blind optimism or wishful thinking. Yeah, and, wishful and, thinking is what a lot of entrepreneurs have. Yeah. It's a lot of wishful thinking. That's why they're entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's the uh, the song. I, I'm the king of wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. it on. Uh, my uh, phone and I play it over and over again every time we walk into the um, the incubator that I'm running is I'm the king of wishful thinking. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not about being the king of wishful thinking. It's about being the king of getting stuff done so you can accomplish your wishes. Exactly. And and so so real hope is it's informed, it's it's accurate, you know, it's it's it assimilates or it or it accepts reality. And, and it says, look, if I want to go there, my hope has given me this picture of where I want to be. I have to acknowledge that I'm here right now, and I have to figure out how I'm going to get from A to B. Yeah. And, and so realism is really important because otherwise, if you, are, if you are at a time where you are without hope, then... If you're just spinning wishful thinking fantasies, yeah. then it becomes more paralyzing because well, you're yeah. not you're not seeing that path. That's from what here we were saying there. in the first segment is that it, yeah. it's a process, not an event. Exactly. Right? Every exactly. day you have to do something, or every hour you have to do something that progresses you towards that 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 goal you're trying to attain. Right. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, and, you're not achieving. You're not going to achieve. You're going to start to lose confidence. And it's going to seem more like a fantasy than ever become a reality. Mm-hmm. And in psychology, there is a hope theory. It identifies hope. There's, there's, there's an instrument that allows you to measure somebody's hopefulness and, and, and so forth. There are three primary characteristics. And it, hope has agency. In other words, it's, it's about you taking responsibility and actively doing things that that get you toward your goals. So you've got agency, you've got pathways, you're able to identify here are the steps between where I am now and, and where I want to be. And then you also have goals that are clear and defined. And so all of this is about process, not yeah. perfection. It's 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 about you know, finding a way to be from where we are to, you know, where we want to be. So in my case, when cognitively I was really struggling, I had to go back and, and deconstruct my own thinking and say, look, there are strategies and cognitive shortcuts that I used to use that I, that I can't rely on now. I, I'm going to have to train myself to think differently. And I'm going to have to to maybe take more notes and 
not rely on keeping everything in my head the way I used to. And I'm going to have to be more deliberate and allow myself more time. Gee, I have to do that now. Yeah. When I was younger, I rarely took notes. I could recite a conversation almost word for word. And now I'm trying to remember who was in the conversation. (laughs) Yeah, but I I hit this in my 30s. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow, there are all these things that that I used to be able to do effortlessly that uh, I can still do now, but I have to I have to be more deliberate and I have to be more planned and it's going to take me more effort. So was that scary for you? Yeah. I mean, just how you dealt with that? I mean, because you're 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 like an engineer of your own brain. Right. So you get sort of all the mechanics that are going on. Right, emotional mm-hmm. and physiological and all those other things. So for you, it's maybe is it is it better that you know all those things and then you can deconstruct like you were talking about. But the average person without that training, their ability to cope with these things or to process an event like you had, an exacerbation like you had, mm-hmm. you know, what how does it how does that translate to the average Joe like me who can't deconstruct these feelings in this way? Well, shameless plug, that's a lot of what my book is about. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, you I know. teed that up, huh? <laughs> yeah, you, yes, you did, and, and bless you well, for it. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, but, but in all seriousness, there's, there are just better ways. You know, a lot of the ways that we think about being human are just wrong, and, or they're, they, they work okay in ideal circumstances, but then when when we're really put to a stress test, they break down, and then we don't have the set of tools for dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, out of my own experience, I had to develop those tools because, you know, like, like everybody, I thought life had, had stressed me, life had tested me. Sure. But I was also really privileged. And and I had had a lot of advantages, and and things had been a lot easier for me than than they could have been. Yeah, and uh, and so I had been tested, but at my own level, and this was a whole different. Uh, well, you know, one of the companies that were put that's in the accelerate accelerator right now, um, he's got a company called Wellbrain, and they use um, mindfulness uh, meditations, mm-hmm. guided meditations, to help people relieve pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, and they've shown a substantial, like a 37% reduction in reported pain for about a third of the people who actually use the system. Yeah. And the one of or more of the, the mindfulness sessions that they have is about gratitude. Yeah. It's about, yeah, you know, instead of switching your mind from what you don't have or didn't have or the things that were taken from you back to... Here's all I have and all the opportunity and all the wealth and riches and love I have. And, and it really does shift your thinking when you start thinking about, well, what do I have to be grateful for? The right kind of meditation is a really important tool. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's lots and lots and lots of clinical evidence for it now. In my own case, you know, I'm, I haven't had a pain-free day in 17 years. And part of what I've had to do is come up with different ways of handling that pain. And I don't take, you know, much. I take a little ibuprofen, and, and that's it. I, I, I use no other medication. I use exercise. I use meditation. I use other things to, to help me, uh, you know, in that way. 
And, and so, you know, there are great tools there. But I think one thing that we're, we're emphasizing here is that all of this requires commitment. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process. And you have to keep coming back to it. And sometimes you're going to fail. You've got to develop the grit even when it gets awful. If you want to become hopeful, you've got to recognize when you are actually hopeless. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about what that actually looks like from the inside. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. In this segment, we're going to talk about that dark opposite of hope that I mentioned before, hopelessness including its most awful manifestation, suicide. So once more, if you feel hopeless, there is help. If you need support in the U.S., call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Now we'll dig into a little bit of hopelessness before we return to what we can do to maintain hope. So we're going to keep talking about hope, and we're going to keep talking about the process of building hopefulness. Um, but let's go to the inverse first. What does hopelessness look like? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really dark, scary place. One of the misnomers that, that people have about suicide is that it's an emotionally overwrought decision. And for a lot of people, it's not. It's a cold cognitive decision in many cases. It's when people become resigned to the fact that it will never get better when they simply do not see a way that their life will get better or that they will contribute to making the world better around them. Well, I think that last phrase, I guess, let's talk about that a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what, what little I have read or know about suicide is that people will consider suicide in part because of their own hopelessness, mm -hmm. but also in part because of their negative impact on those that they love around them. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of love. I'm making your life worse. My right. life's not going to get any better, and I don't want to take you down with me. Yeah, yeah, there is that. And, and, and it's, it's a disconnection from the world in many cases. There are actually several types of suicide. Uh, mm -hmm. There's several kinds of motivation, and there's been research for over 100 years now on this, um, which would be a great topic for an episode. But 
You know, when I was in the midst of that cognitive uh, exacerbation and I got really depressed, the thing that made it even worse is that a lot of the people that I loved, that I'd counted on, that I'd been there for, looked me straight in the eye and said, you're worthless. And they left. Did that literally happen? Yes. Or did you perceive No, no, that? no, no. Literally. Direct, verbatim, quote. And that's what just about crushed me. Gosh. So what would prompt that? Fear. Fear of what? Fear of and lack of hope on their part. With respect to you? Yeah, with respect to me. Like there's no hope for you? Yeah, there's, there's no hope to me. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for me wasting some of my life on you. And this is, this is something that those of us with chronic illnesses often face. It's not unusual for people we love to give up on us. And that brings hopelessness. Well, I could see where it would lead to that. I guess I'm not sure I'm willing to accept as fact that your condition, your disease, and your struggle with it would, would lead those who love you to come to that conclusion that you're no longer worthy of that. Yeah. And that's if you if you go to say the bulletin boards and and the message uh, groups, you know, uh, for people with MS, uh, you'll you'll see this story repeated time and time again, and and you know, and, and it's not just MS, but this is you know the one that I'm the most intimately familiar with. So hopelessness doesn't just look like sadness. It doesn't just look like low mood. It's, it is a disconnection from the world sometimes. It's, it's a disconnection from meaning and from people we care about. And, and it's, it's a loss of our own agency. We don't feel like we can, we can do anything anymore, that it's beyond our control. I, I, I think I can, I can accept that if you're the one with the condition, that you could arrive at that state of hopelessness. I'm still, I'm still struggling with how those whom you love and love you could come to that same point. Help me get there. I'm, I'm, I'm still a little on the outside looking and going, if I, we're, we're friends, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not relatives or anything mm -hmm. like that, but if you were struggling I would still want to help you. At what point would I arrive at that destination that says, you know what, you're no longer worthy of my help? Part of it has to do with uh, um, people who are a little bit more socially distant are more willing to give help in some of these circumstances because there's not a sense of shared fate. So in other words, you may see this, this guy is really having a lot of trouble, and he may be going down, but I can still help that person, and my fate is not tied to that person. So it's, it's easier for you to give help. If, if you're in a very intimate, close family relationship with someone, and you believe that that person is 
not going to be able to improve, then there's a sense that your future and your fate are tied to that person, and maybe the only way you can see to having hope in your own life is to disconnect. So shared fate sounds really academic. <laughs> and a little bit. Yeah, and I, I can get that way. Yeah, uh, let's take it apart. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's extract that. Let's, because I live this both, you know, as someone diagnosed and also as a caregiver. Right. So, right. so you know, I can tell you that, like, every day you are in a, a relationship with someone. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship, but especially an intimate domestic relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know, your, your wife or husband or lover or whoever it is. Every day... You have to make a decision, I'm going to stay. You have yeah. to keep saying yes to that relationship. Right, because you can see it's not the life that they were planning. Right, right. right. If you, I, you Remind me now, you were diagnosed 10 years ago, 12? Almost 20. Almost 20. Okay, yeah. you're 50 now. Mm -hmm. You were 30, mm -hmm. right? Your wife, your spouse, your girlfriend, whoever at that moment in your life then helps has to, in some respects, become a caregiver to you. And right. I'm pretty sure most people don't think as a youth or a young person, when I grow up, I want to be a caregiver at 30 years old for the rest of my life. Right. And, and you know, to, to, to make things even worse in our circumstances, uh, right about the time I was diagnosed, her health was like taking a deep nosedive. Yeah. And, and, you know, we spent a, a decade with cancer as well before she was finally, you know, thankfully cured. But, you know, I can remember there would be days where she would be curled up in a fetal position in the bed all day long. And we had little kids at the time. And, and so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this really sucks. And, yeah. and then there were days, you know, when, when my pain or spasticity was so bad and, and she was trying to hold it together for, for everybody in the family. And, and, you know, some days, you know, when you live with a chronic illness, it impacts your, your earning potential. Oh, you yeah. know, we weren't bringing in the kind of money that either one of us could have brought in. Uh, well, for, there's that, and then, of course, there's the bills that go with it, and right? Then all there's the bills. medical bills. Yeah, and then there's all the medical bills on top of that. Yeah. And and then, you know, what little energy we had left over was was pretty much devoted to kids. Yeah. And so what time left is there bet between trying to work and dealing with kids and the limitations of just feeling crappy all the time Where's the place for that relationship yeah. to to you know do fun things? You know what right. what is that? You know well, to go keeps... out and have fun or or just stay in and be intimate right. with one another. What keeps that relationship alive? Right? Exactly when the roles have changed. And you've got to, and you've got to, you've got to feed a relationship. Right. And when so much of the energy is going to caregiving. What kind of life does that look like? So the hopelessness that is the theme of this segment then extends beyond the individual who's got the problem. Right. right. To everybody around them. And we were talking about that moment when you arrive at that 
you know, okay, I'm done with this, mm-hmm. right? The things that drive you to that point, drive a caregiver, spouse, lover, friend, partner to that point is all of these things, right? The financial, the, the, the emotional, the physical, right? Um, is this how I'm going to spend the rest of my life? Yeah, and it's, and it's all the things that by themselves— you know, it would be one little individual thing here, there, and, and that's not a big deal. But when you've got one thing after another, after another, and, and you don't have those opportunities to, to make hope together and, and see progress. Remember we talked about yeah. it being, we, we've got to see ourselves taking steps. And when you don't see that, and you don't see a way that those steps forward can start up again, then it, it, it becomes, even if it's an awful decision, a decision they don't want, sometimes it becomes the only decision that someone can see. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm at that destination with you where I could see where someone closer to you could come to the conclusion that this is not how I want to spend the rest of my life. And so... I think we've taken the sort of journey through the sort of darker cave of hopelessness. I think maybe let's that light at the end of the tunnel should be about hopefulness, right? So let's take a little break and let's come back and talk about the bright side of the, uh, it's not a freight train coming at you at the end of the tunnel. It's a bright light. Excellent idea. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life. And we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump. And you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Justjump.life So the last segment was on hopelessness, and, and that was kind of a downer, and, and that's not what this is about. It's about learning to recognize those, those initial signs so that you can do something about it and not get there and not stay there. And the very first thing that I want people to understand is you know, people define themselves. I'm an optimist. I'm a pessimist. I'm a hopeful person. I'm not. I'm a cynic. Whatever it is, I'm telling you right now, hopefulness is a skill and it can be learned. Oh, yeah. I I believe that, too. I think optimism is something we teach ourselves to be. We learn not to find the cloud in every silver lining. Uh, And there are people, the Debbie Downers of the world, that that's how they live their lives. And I think that you know, we could spend our lives looking at all the problems of the world and we could become so depressed over them because we're powerless in many cases to change them. But let's go tackle the things we can change, right? Well, those are the people that I'm speaking to right now because a lot of us who live with chronic illness get to that place. Yeah. And what I want to acknowledge first is that that reaction is an entirely understandable, natural reaction but you don't have to live there. And so hopefulness is a skill. It can be built. And it is also true that just like a muscle that you don't use, mm-hmm. it, it gets weak 
it atrophies when we don't use it. Yeah. So, so if you are having a difficult time with hopefulness right now, you've got to start small. You've, you've got to not overwhelm what, what your little hopefulness engine has to be doing. You've got to see the small goods and the near goals to begin with. Yeah. Well, I think it's granular, granularizing the things we were talking about in the earlier segments about the things we wish we had or the things we want to attain, and that gives us hope, right, with confidence. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take a step in that direction in very small ways, right, we used to say in, in, in my first company, if, if we do better today than we did yesterday, that's good enough. Yeah, right? and, and, and not even, you know, consistently with that. What, what, what I'm saying even is I call it the mean positive delta. On average, oh my, yeah, it's because it, it's got a nice symbol, but 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 you know it. That's a geeky way of saying a little bit better on average every day. Yeah, and you're going to backslide some, sure. and that's all right. But it's just a little bit better on average. It's it's like going to the gym, mm -hmm. right? If you do a little bit of something every day, you'll improve a little bit every day. And yeah. the days you don't go to the gym, you're going to backslide a little bit, but get back on the horse and get back over there. Yeah. Because I think it's like every day that you take off is like two days worth at the gym. So, you know, you need two days to make up for it. But, yeah, it's those small things. It really is. It really is. And, and the second thing that, that you can do here is to cultivate patience and better, more realistic expectations. So, so you have to understand that you're hopeful and you've got the desire and you want that thing, but it's not going to happen probably as fast as you would like for it to happen. So you need to say, okay, here's my goal, but what I'm going to focus on now is that process. So it's those but, little steps. But people with chronic conditions, can they really expect that each day they can make progress towards a positive goal? Is that too much to ask? No, I, I do. Okay. I, I, you know, every, every day. But you've got to, to conceive of your goals more broadly. So, yeah. so my goals are not necessarily health-related, uh, you know, every day. Yeah, that's a great point. That's, it's, it's not that I'm going to, to be an amazing world-class athlete. <laughs> but but my goal can be getting myself through the day-to-day -day things that I need to do without being totally exhausted at the end of the day. So another way to, to be more hopeful is to be more engaged with life. And, yeah. and that's really difficult because sometimes we don't feel like it. No, you want to run and hide, right? Yeah. And, uh, have your own little private... Oh, hate to say it this way, pity party, right? Well, well, it's it's not even not even that. I mean, like like for example, I have to organize my life in in days and out days. So uh, there there are days that I that I line up several different things out in the world to do, and and then there are days where I'm at home. And I don't go out of the house, and, and it's not that I'm just sitting there feeling sorry for myself. It's that I've got stuff to do there. 
so I can work on writing, I can analyze data, I can do those sorts of things. But the act of getting out into the world and being up and being social, that's a lot of energy. Well, even just managing your time, right? right? And right. balancing that time between work and other obligations that you have and making time for mindfulness, right? And meditation, yeah, and positive, it, it's, positive it's, thoughts, right? Right, being engaged with others, being out in the world, uh, and and getting out of your own head. Yeah, right. Be- because when when we're not feeling hopeful, we can start ruminating, and we can start, you know. And, and people have to understand that our emotions are like the weather. If you if you don't hang on to them, if you don't keep feeding whatever's there with you, it'll change naturally, like the weather does. Yeah, but. If you are depressed, if you know you, it's because you have ruminated and latched onto it and kept it going, and not allowed the normal fluctuations. That, right. So that you have. I, I sorry, but I think about things like a balance sheet. Right. If you had two columns of information, you said, okay, what kind of things trigger me to feel bad or feel lonesome or hopeless and what things trigger the opposite effect what gives me positivity what makes me feel grateful you know and and if you made a list of those things and you looked at each of them and said where do I really want to spend my time column a or column b right you have a choice right mm-hmm. i mean i sometimes you feel like the the external things your illness or whatever forces you into column a and all the negatives but if you make a list of the things that should be in column b the positive things and you spend some time focusing on those. You know, there's meditations where, you know, that you do first thing in the morning, like you do, right? You wake mm-hmm. up and you, you know, think about what you should be grateful for today and what you want to accomplish today. Uh, whether it's staying home, resting, and 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 reading a good book, right? That's yeah. if those are the things that make you feel better, then go do those things. Right? right, and it's and it's not just about helping yourself to feel hopeful and grateful, but one of the things that we can do is help others to see hope and help others to see gratitude. So that kind of gives me chills a little bit just thinking about what we were talking about before the last break mm-hmm. in this, well, where your loved ones begin to give up on you, right? right. And, and I would think that helping them see hope, helping them to know that you're hopeful, that you have an optimistic view, will also sort of invigorate them as well. Right? It does. I mean, th- these kinds of emotions are contagious. Yeah, right. Well, they, all emotions are, right? Yeah, if all I want to feel sad, mm-hmm. and I'm, I want everybody around me to feel sad because, you know, um, you know, I love to make everybody un- unhappy. <laughs> if I'm going to be unhappy, just be unhappy with me, please. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, wrapped up in, in all of this is to be more forgiving, to be more forgiving of yourself, yeah. to be more forgiving of others, you know, when experiences don't live up to our hopes, we can we can be disappointed, and that disappointment can can feed the hopelessness. But if we just cut ourselves a break and, yeah. and cut one another a break, then we we open the space to to see those steps in that process towards something better. Yeah, and and that's really important. So hope, yeah. the things we want, right. Mm-hmm. With confidence, right? The yeah. things we believe, yeah. and we do it with confidence. 
And, and the last thing that should be emphasized here is that this is an active experience. It's something we have to do. It's about you exerting your agency in the world. You've got to be up and you've got to, you've got to try, right? It's about exerting effort. Yeah, it's a process, right? It is. You won't one day become hopeful without making an effort to be hopeful every day. Exactly. Right? You know, I, as we've been doing this episode, I've had, you know, the last scene from Monty Python's The Life of Brian. I don't remember that one, but go okay, ahead. Okay, well, it's, it's one of Eric Idle's songs, Always Look on the Bright Side yeah, of yeah, Life. Yeah. Right, no, right. So it's got, you know, it's, it's got a whole uh, hillside of guys. There's like 100 guys on, on, that are being crucified. Yes. And they're all singing, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. And, you know, that's extreme and that's silly, but we can, we can so easily feel that our illness has us past the point of our own agency. Yeah, right. And hope is about doing something, however small. Reestablishing that agency. Yeah. So today, I'm encouraging you to go out and make some hope. Share it with someone. Make it small. Focus on the process. But you need to exercise your hope muscle, especially if it hasn't seen a lot of use lately. So once more, I'll remind everyone that if you don't feel hopeful and you can't see a way to hope, there's a world of caring people and there is help. If you need support in the U.S., call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Now, go forth. Practice hope. Share it. Be well, do well, and do good. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.